Well, good morning. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Good morning. And we're so glad that you're here this morning. And as you know, we've been in this series called Actions Speak Louder Than Words. And, and I want to kind of remind you a little bit before we get into the heart of today. Uh, there, there was a moment when we were back in chapter 8 that I said that in chapter 8 and 9, you saw three miracles and then this call that Jesus had. For example, the first call was the call of, you know, foxes have holes, birds in the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So those who are going to follow him are going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be something that you're going to have to choose to do. And we see that story doesn't end well. Nobody follows Jesus. And then he performs three more miracles, and then he calls Matthew. And then he performs three more miracles, and he gets to the passage we're going to cover today. It's a passage we skipped, and I know Tim last week did a great job reminding us if we truly are following Christ, one of the things we have to fight is this issue of fear. And then next week, we're going to jump into what I was going to talk about today. So today, we're going to backtrack a little bit. Is that, are you okay with that? Great. It doesn't matter. We're going to anyway. All right, so we're going to backtrack in Matthew 9, and, uh, and so I hope, you, I hope you'll join us with that here in just a minute and get your Bibles ready. But right now, what I want to do, I've been asked several times about our trip to Cuba, and today is not a report, all right? We're not giving a report. We're going to share about how God intervened on our behalf while we were there, and hopefully what we talk about today and what we share today will impact us as a body of believers to impact the world that we live in right here. So I'm going to ask Deanne and Brad and Craig, if you guys will join me on the stage right now to stand up and come on up here. And as they're making a way, let me tell you a couple of things about our trip that I want to mention that's something I told the team about but was really unfamiliar with until I sat down with the pastor there in the church of Cabrian. How do you say it, Elijah? Cabrian. That's about as close as I got. Like a Cadbury egg, all right? So um, anyway, one thing the pastor said to me was this, that over the last three years, they'd had six mission teams planned to be there with them. All six mission teams were canceled, all canceled. So I, of course, I asked the question, why were they canceled? He said, well, some of them were canceled because um, there was, the visas were denied by the, the government. Other trips were canceled because that there wasn't enough food to feed the team. Even though the money was there, there was just not enough food. So we were literally the first team that were able to show up at this church and serve them. And that's no wonder they kept telling us that you guys are such a blessing, such a blessing. And it wasn't until I discovered that every other team had been canceled, and we were the first team there that understood why we were such a blessing to them. Because they have been praying for years for a team to come in, and we were the first one. God is so good, amen? And you know, while we were there, the very first one over the course of the week through sharing and preaching and all that stuff through, through children's ministries, we saw over 30 people come to faith in Jesus. It was amazing. Okay, I, I don't know if you heard that. 30 people came to faith in Christ, right? 30 people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ that you may never meet are going to meet us in heaven one day, and I'm so excited about that. So I've asked these three. They're going to come, and next week, uh, this is not our whole team. Also, Elijah went, and Pam went, and Nancy's not here today. She's not feeling well. They're going to share a little bit next week with us during the service. But I've asked them to come and kind of serve as our panel. And so just introduce yourselves real fast for those that maybe don't know you, and then we'll start into the questions, okay? Hi, my name is Brad. Hi, I'm Deanne Stevenson. And I'm Craig Goddard. Okay. And by the way, I'm Craig's son, in case you didn't know, because on my visa, it said Doug Goddard. So I guess I belong to Craig, which means I want some, I want some, uh, I want some stuff, Jill. I want some things paid for for me, okay? So, uh, since I'm your child. So, anyway, just tell me, just in general, what were some of your first impressions about Cuba? When we went to Cuba, outside of our bus breaking down the first two hours, tell us some overall impressions of Cuba. Yeah, 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 right, right. So anybody, just start, tell us your first yeah. impressions of Cuba. Okay, I'll, I'll start. We went to a, a place called uh, 
Cabrienne, which is about five hours east of uh, the airport, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that was the first we stayed there most of the week. And this place is really, uh, literally looks like it's just been through place is pretty rough, uh, to say the least, and there's no paint on any of the external walls, probably hasn't been painted in 50 years. Uh, so that's your, your first impression when you see the place. And then on the last day, we did go and tour Havana, and that's a little bit different. Also pretty rough, but uh, now that uh, cruise ships are coming in, they've got some tourism going on, so some, you know, some businesses starting up, but, but still pretty rough. Uh, but overall, my, my impression was that it's a very, very poor country and people have just been kept down. Absolutely. Okay, um, kind of what um, Craig was saying, um, the people are pretty oppressed there. And um, so for me, I noticed it was all about their relationship with each other. It's the people. And um, they don't have much. And so it was like everybody greets everybody. They hug and kiss a lot. And even the little children hugged and kissed us. They didn't know us, and we were foreigners. And so I was pretty impressed by that because, mm -hmm. you know, here we... You know, within our church body, we do that, but we don't necessarily do that with, with strangers. So, um, and let's see. And the other thing was that um, a couple of the people that we came in contact, the, the younger generation that spoke English, poured their heart out to us about the state of their country. And that, I mean, that just tore me to the core because, um, and they said that they were only doing that because their people couldn't understand them. Mm. Because they couldn't really discuss that with, with their people, so... I was. Because um, they can go to very, jail, right? And exactly, was, they right. can go to jail, and so they were risking by speaking English, you know, because their their folks, you know, couldn't understand them. So that was my first impression. To me, it was all about the people. Yeah, good, Brad. All these guys must have copied my notes or something, because <laughs> seemed like they're the same answer or some of the same answers. The stuff that stood out to me. Uh, the only thing I could, I think, I could add to what they already said is something that I. They told us when we first got there was the average income was twenty dollars a month for the people of Cuba, which was just blew my mind. That's okay. Well, one thing I want you to know about these guys, and not just these guys, but Elijah, Nancy, and Pam, is uh, every one of them either taught or they uh, are uh, share their testimony in front of a massive group of people. And you know, you think, well, that's that's great. Well. Let's you try that today, right? You stand up here, and some of you wouldn't have any problem, but it was nerve-wracking, right? Uh, I think. Actually, I, I wasn't. I, I think I'm more nervous here in front of my own people. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway. You're wishing there was a translator, weren't you? Well, it's yeah. weird not having a, um, uh, the translator up here with us. Right. Just for the record, Cuba has mosquitoes. Also. <laughs> yes, yes, they sure do. Okay, so here's, here's kind of where this really why I wanted you here today, was this, ask, answer this question. What impacted you the most about this trip in a spiritual way? What was the greatest impact that you experienced on this trip? I think the biggest impact for me was strengthening my walk in Christ. I, uh, when I signed up for this trip, I signed up because I knew it was a construction trip. And I think one of my strengths is working with my hands. And uh, I didn't realize that the true purpose of me going on the trip was Probably not for construction, but for a lot of other stuff. Um, I felt early on that I was called to go on, go on this one. I believe uh, strength of mind is working with my hands. Sorry, I'm just going back, going back to my notes. As the mission trip approached, I started to realize that the purpose of me being on 
be, being called to go to Cuba was less about construction and much more about my growth and my walk with Jesus. Early on, I was very worried about leaving my family, leaving my business, and also generally just going to a communist country. I had to learn to trust God on these matters and leave my worry behind. I, I had to also come out of my comfort zone and give my testimony in front of their church and also lead a children's class. I believe pushing my boundaries was one of the main reasons for being called to this trip, and construction was just secondary. Mm. Amen. Um, I think a couple of things what impacted me was um, we all knew we were going there to serve, but when we got there, they served us. We felt like so much more. It was so humbling. Um, the, the, the kitchen help was actually a mission team, and so, you know, they would go out into Cuba and, um, and serve that way as well. So it was a much, um, they had a very servant heart for sure. The other thing that really impacted me was on the last night we were there, um, during church service at the end, the, the pastor of the church, we were all up front, and it, they brought all the um, people in the congregation up front to lay hands on us and pray over us, and I, I was so overwhelmed. I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm in Cuba, and these folks are praying for us. It was, it was just very overwhelming, and that impacted me in a huge way. But I think it's the serving part, too. It was crazy. Yeah. They were so, they treated us like kings and queens. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It is. Yeah, just for me, the, the way I see the people worship there, I mean, my worship is still half-hearted uh, when I worship in song, and they really give it all there. Um, but just also like Brad, when I signed up, I also thought it was construction. So um, on day one, I watched, I also had to teach, and I wasn't real keen about that, but Doug put pressure on me. You know how he is. <laughs> so, no, no, really. <laughs> so, so the story I had to tell was Jonah and the whale, which, so I, I went ahead and purchased 60 whales, the little kitties' whales. And I thought, well, I've got way too many, but the shipping was free, so I got 60. Anyway, so Deanne went first, and uh, first night I just kind of watched her. Those 20 kids showed up. I thought, hey, no problem. I got this. Uh, day two, they went and got the bus out in the neighborhood, and 71 kids showed up. I didn't have enough whales, and uh, <laughs> you know how that goes. But uh, it ended up being very good, and, uh, but a bit overwhelming. To, uh, first of all, the kids came into the sanctuary and were just bouncing off the walls. And uh, I think they also learned the lesson. So the day after that, they didn't allow the kids in the sanctuary. But uh, a really good time, though, and the way this really impacted me, just, you know, given everything, uh, money doesn't buy happiness because yeah. the people there were really happy uh, even given their circumstances. Absolutely. So one last question. How do you think this will change your life moving forward? I mean, I wrote down a couple things here. Uh, you know, I am appreciative of what I have in life. I mean, I'm truly blessed with what I have. I mean, living here in Florida, you know, I have everything that I need. Um, I didn't have a hot shower all week, and here, you know, I've got water just gushing, you know. And then just really just looking to help people out and not being so judgmental of people. Mm. Um, uh, how this will change me is um, I come here and sit, sit in, you know, in church every Sunday. And, uh, and honestly, I, I think I got to the point where it was checking check mark for the week. Um, but in, you know, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so I, I was convicted on this trip about serving, um, not just coming to church, but serving. If you can go on a mission trip, I highly recommend it because you'll come back changed. 
And I mean, not everybody can go across country, but we can serve right here with each other and with the community. And it's so important um, not to just come and sit on a Sunday morning. So that's, um, that was my conviction for sure when I went. Awesome. I stink at public speaking, so I'm just going to read off, off my notes. Uh, moving forward has changed me in several ways. I have learned that I need to be bolder to share the gospel with friends, family, neighbors, and strangers. I have seen the impact a personal testimony can have. I have learned that if I feel called to do something, I need to trust God and not worry. Worrying doesn't do anything but wear me out. I also have an a strength and appreciation for my country that we live in. God bless America. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right, let's thank these guys for sharing this morning. Thank you, guys. Yeah, if you would. Now, let me tell you why that was important, all right? Uh, there's a lot more we could share. There were some funny stories that happened that we could have shared that were they would have you in stitches, different things that happened. We could have shared about uh, the, the bus breaking down and the inconvenience of that and all that. But at the end of the day, here's why that is important. Number one, it's important because I don't want what occurred 1,100 miles away that, that happened there to stay there. I want what God did there in our hearts, the seven of us, to come back and be a virus that all of us catch as a church. Amen? That's what we want. Another reason that what just was shared is important is because it reminds us that the reason that God spoke to everybody who went is because they had a heart to serve. It wasn't about selfishness. It wasn't about doing life the way we wanted to. It definitely, I promise you, was not about the comfort of where we were going. There's some things that they told us we had to do to, you know, to just kind of honor their system there that was very different from all of us. And that, you know, I mean, I, I just, I could share a lot about that. You can ask me later, but I'm not going to share right now. But there's so many different things. And so it wasn't about selfishness. It was about serving. And God spoke to all of us and, and nudged and pulled at all of our hearts, not because we were awesome, not because we were super prepared, but because we had a heart to go and serve. Let me tell you the third reason why what you just was shared was desperately important is because of this. Serving is the core of who Jesus was, right? Amen? In fact, if you were to ask me, what, what would be the core heartbeat of who Jesus is, there'd be two things. Saving people, that was a big deal. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said that. And second of all, it's serving. Jesus says, I've come not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Meaning the two primary purposes of Jesus was to come save and to serve. And if we're going to reflect Christ, we can't save anybody. We can share the gospel, but we sure can go serve people. Amen? We can sure be a part of that thing. And so it's important for us because even the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 that we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, right? And here was the attitude of Christ Jesus. He said he, people consider quality with God something not to be grasped. He humbled himself and took on the very nature of a servant, right? That's who Jesus was. And if we're going to be a church, and if we're going to be a group of believers that truly reflect Christ, one of the best ways to reflect him is through our service. We need to be that kind of church. We're serving. It's not something we do, but it's what? Who we are. It's just part of who we are. So we need to have a heart of a servant. Amen? So what does that look like? Bibles, Matthew chapter 9. Here we go. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 through 38. And we're going to answer the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to have a heart 
to serve. Jesus says this. This is after the second series of miracles. Then he stops and this happens, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching and their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, when you look at this passage, and I look at this passage, and it's one of those that it continually I read and God has on my heart. I think if we're going to have a heart of a servant, there's two things. You need to write this down. It won't be on the screen. Two things I think we need to be. Two things we must do. Number one, we must see people the way Jesus saw people. We need to see people the way Jesus saw people. In verse 36, it says this. And as he went through all the towns, in verse 36, when he saw the crowds. I have that circled in red in my Bible. That word saw is a unique word in the Greek language because it doesn't mean a glance. It means a long stare. It means a desperately intense look. We need to see people the way Jesus saw people. Now here, I'm just going to be honest. I think we struggle with that. I think as Americans, as believers in America, we struggle seeing people the way Jesus saw people. And I think there's two reasons we struggle. There could be a lot, but two reasons that I know that I struggle, and I want to mention those. First of all, distractions. I think one reason we don't see people the way Jesus saw people is we get distracted, right? We are so busy. How many of you are busy in the room? And the rest of you are lying because we're all busy, right? We've all got places to go. We've all got things to do. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the fires never get burnt out in my life. Do you, are you feel that way too? And you feel like you're going from one fire to the next fire to the next fire to the next fire. We are so dadgum busy. We've got everything going. We don't have time to stop. We don't have time for divine interruptions. And one reason we don't see people is the distractions of Busyness. I think another reason we're distracted is because we're preoccupied. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy that when I'm focused on something, that's all I focus on. I, I want to see it to the beginning to the end. And for some of us, man, maybe you're focused with your job. Maybe you're focused with some construction at your house. Maybe you're focused with your kid. I mean, you're preoccupied with something, and you're so linear focused that you're not seeing anything. You're like the horse with blinders on, right? You're just kind of going through life, focused on what you want to be focused on, and you're ignoring everything in the periphery. I think another reason we get distracted, now hear me, come on, everybody look at me, I want you to hear me say this, and I mean this with a lot of love because this is more true of me than anybody else in the room. I think one reason we get distracted is because seeing people the way Jesus saw people is just not that important to us. Right? Maybe it's just not that important. We want it to be important, but for it to really be important, we've got to change some things, don't we? We've got to change the busyness of life. We've got to change how we're preoccupied. I mean, I think one of the reasons I get so distracted and I don't see people the way Jesus saw people is because it's just not that big of a priority for me. But it should be, shouldn't it? In fact, one of my favorite stories is in John chapter 11. Jesus shows up on the scene. Lazarus is, has passed away, but there, if you remember the story of Mary and Martha, there's another story of them where, they, where Jesus comes and he comes to their house to eat. And, and Martha's in the kitchen and Martha's cooking because Jesus is in the house. And you remember, for a lady that day, hospitality was a big deal. And I'm going to tell you, the Cuban people are more hospitable than I have ever seen in my life. You, those that went, would you agree with that? And listen, they did something amazing. And the next time I come to one of your homes to eat, I want you to do it. They sang to us. They sang us songs, and it was awesome. And so they're so hospitable. 
But you think about it, I mean, the thing about it is, is that we get distracted because it's just not that important. For Martha, she was cooking. But what was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, right? And Jesus, and Martha comes in, and she's complaining. And she said, Jesus, will you tell Mary to get up and help me? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, right? Like, are you kidding me? Now, what's the point of the story? Martha was focused on the urgent. Mary was focused on the important. How many of us spend our lives focused on the urgent and we neglect the important? Maybe the reason I don't see people the way Jesus saw people is because I'm distracted because it's just not that important to me. But I don't think it's just distractions that keep us from it. I think another thing is, and I mean this and I'll explain it, is discrimination. I think we discriminate. I'm not talking about based on race. I think sometimes we look at people and we let their outer experience, their outer presence lead us to a series of assumptions. Maybe you see someone who's begging for money or they need something with a dress well and your first thought is they don't need anything. They need to get a job what they need and that's our first moment of thought, right? We don't think any further than that than what we saw on the, on the outside. Or maybe we see somebody who's just very, very poorly and we're like the Pharisees that Jesus told in the Good Samaritan story and we just want to pass to the other side of the road. We don't even want to have to deal with those people. We discriminate, right? Many of us do that. And the point is this, we let what we see on the outside, the external, determine our actions as followers of Jesus. But if we're going to be what God wants us to be, and we're going to do what God wants us to do, we need to see people the way that Jesus saw people. So how did he see them? When Jesus walked through the villages, how did he see people? Did he obviously notice the outside? Sure he did. But what did Jesus really see? The scripture here says he saw that people were harassed, they were helpless, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were hopeless. Now listen to me. You know what Jesus saw? He saw their hearts. He didn't see the outward side of things and focus on that. He saw their hearts. How do I know that? And 1 Samuel tells me this, that man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks at the what? God looks at the what, everybody? The heart. Guess who Jesus is? He is God. So what would he look at? He looks at the heart. So when Jesus saw people, he wasn't focused with the external things. He was focused with the heart. And he says three things. First of all, when I see people, I see them, they're harassed. That word harassed means to be beaten down, to be exhausted, to be worn out. Now, I know all of us in the room know what harassed means. We use a different word. We might use the word bully, right? Because bullies harass people. And many of you in the room, either you were or you know somebody that has been harassed. I mean, do you remember when you were a teenager and maybe you had to get glasses or you're a young child and you get glasses? What do they call you? What do they call you? Four eyes, right? Or remember when you got braces and you were younger, what was the first thing your friends who didn't get braces call you? Brace face and railroad tracks or whatever, whatever else they wanted to call you, right? Or maybe you were like me and you were overweight as a kid. Can you imagine all the things that those people are called, right? We understand what harassment means. We understand that when you're harassed, people are continually beating you down and robbing you of your dignity, right? Isn't that what harassment is? And listen, here's what we know about harassment. It absolutely devastates us, doesn't it? That's what Jesus saw. He saw people who continually were beaten down, robbed of their dignity, and devastation. He also saw that they were helpless. That word helpless there means that they were discarded. They were marginalized. Somebody came along and said, you know what? You're just not worth it. 
It's like when Elijah was preaching in Cuba, he's told the story of Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus, and his friends tell him to be quiet. What were they doing? They were, they were, they were deeming him helpless. They were deeming him unworthy. They were marginalizing him, and they were saying, you're just not worth it. Have we ever seen somebody that felt that way in the world? You better believe it. Do you think there are people around us in our workplaces that feel helpless, that they've been marginalized, that someone's made them feel like they're just not worth it? You better believe it. And then he says they're like sheep without a shepherd, meaning they are hopeless. They are lost, and they are wandering as if they have no purpose in life. See, that? listen, that's how Jesus saw people. Jesus saw people, and he saw the intimacy of their heart. He saw that when he went through all these villages, here's what he saw as he preached the gospel and as he healed people. He saw people that were harassed, bullied, robbed of their dignity. He saw people that were helpless, they were marginalized, and he saw people aimlessly wandering because they were hopeless with, like a sheep without a shepherd. Here's my question. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Do we see people like that? Come on. Do we really see people like that? When we walk through our subdivisions or we walk through our workplace, do we see people that are harassed and helpless and hopeless? You may say, yeah, I've noticed those people. No, 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 I'm not talking about noticing them. I'm talking about do you really see them? Do you really look into their eyes, which I believe is the window into the soul? I really do. I think I can spend 10 minutes with you, and you can tell me whatever lie you want to tell me. But if I can look you in the eye, I know exactly what you're saying, if it's true or if it's a lie. I know if what you're telling me, I, that's, your eyes are a window into your soul. And many of you understand that. Many of you know what I'm talking about. And we all know this, right? If you have a spouse or if you have kids, you know this. Have you ever had a moment with your spouse or your kids that you knew something was bothering them and you made them sit down and look at you and you say, hey, are you okay? And their answer is, I'm fine, right? right? The answer is, I'm fine. But you know by looking into them, they aren't fine, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's what I mean when I say look into their heart. That's what I mean, say, look into their eyes, which is, the, which is the pathway to the soul. That's how Jesus saw people. And do we see people like that? See, I think we can look into people's eyes. And one thing we understand is when you look into the eyes of your kids or your spouse, it's hurting. Don't you feel their pain? Don't you feel their hurt? And sometimes you feel it so deeply, it's almost as if it's your pain and your hurt, right? Listen, if we're going to be the church, now, are you with me this morning? I'm with you. I'm telling you, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, and if we're going to be the Christ followers Christ has called us to be, we must start seeing people the way Jesus saw people. We can't let distractions and discrimination bog us down. We need to see the people around us for who they are, harassed, helpless, and hopeless. You know why? Because we got the answer. There is an answer, and it's not you, it's Jesus. And we've got to have a heart to see people the way Jesus saw people. Secondly, if we're going to have a heart of a servant, we must meet the needs of people like Jesus did. Look with me in verse 36 again. It'll be on the screen. Here we go. It says this. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. That's a crazy word in the original language. It's one of those words that's, it's, it's, that's got a lot of ambiguity to it. It's got a lot, of, a lot of different tentacles that go out. And so I've studied that word a lot of the different times because you also see that word in John's gospel and Luke's gospel. You see a lot of different places. And the two words that kind of always associated with compassion is sympathy and empathy. You know, you know what sympathy is, right? Sympathy is I feel sorry for you. Empathy is what? 
I feel like I know what you're going through, right? So there's a difference in sympathy and empathy. So here's Doug's working definition of compassion. It's when sympathy and empathy lead to activity. I wasn't trying to rhyme on purpose, all right? It's when sympathy and empathy lead to activity. See, is it compassion to be sympathetic and empathetic and do nothing about it? That's not compassion, is it? That's hypocritical. Oh, I said it, didn't I? Yeah, that's hypocritical. When I know they're hurting and I see it and I feel sorry and I feel their pain but do nothing about it, that's not compassion. It's when sympathy and empathy lead to activity, that's real compassion. And you know who was the best person at being compassionate? Jesus was. In fact, in verse 35, we see that. Let's go back to verse 35. It says, and when Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. You know what Jesus did? You know what the activity of Jesus was? He went through all these villages, all these people he saw that were harassed and helpless and hopeless. And you know what he did? Two things. Number one, he met their spiritual need first. He talked about the kingdom of God. He preached the message that eventually he was going to die on a cross. He, he proclaimed the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He met their physical, I mean, their spiritual needs. You know, secondly, what he did? He met their practical needs. Whatever issue they were going through, he met. It says that he healed everybody who was sick and afflicted. He met their needs spiritually first, and then he met their physical needs second. He did both of those things. Now, here's just a question. Isn't that a model that we should adopt as followers of Jesus, too? That if we're going to have a heart and see people like Jesus saw people, that we have to heart to take sympathy and empathy and lead it to activity. That we have a heart to be compassionate and to go to those people. And as we go to people, we need to do the same two things Jesus did. We need to make sure that as we go to people, we are ultimately trying to lead and guide them down the greatest need they have, which is a relationship with Christ. Salvation, restoration, and renewal. That's, that's what needs to be part of who we are. That we are doing the same thing Jesus did, that we're sharing the only message that matters, but also that we have a heart to meet their practical needs. That if they've got some issues they're going through, meet them. Now, now hear me real quickly here. I want us to be a church when you know of a need, our church becomes aware, and we go meet that need. Amen? But there are moments that maybe you're out and about, and you see somebody come across somebody who has a need right then. Maybe they need food right there, and you happen to be by McDonald's, right? And you know, you don't need to call me and go, we need to feed this person McDonald's. Go feed them yourself, right? We need to have a heart that says, I want to be a part of making a difference in somebody's life. I want to meet their needs spiritually, but I also want to meet their needs physically. So if we're going to be a body of believers and a follower of Christ that does what Jesus wants to do and has a heart of a servant, we have to see people the way Jesus saw people, and we have to be willing to meet their needs the way Jesus Met their needs. If you believe that, say amen. But there's the problem. Verse 37. Look what Jesus says. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now this is why this passage keeps me up at night at times. Because here's what Jesus is saying. The world is filled with harassed, helpless and hopeless people. The world is filled with people who need to hear the message of Jesus and a world filled with people who need to have their physical needs and their practical needs met. But here's the problem. I don't have enough people who claim to love me that are going to go do the work. And what an indictment, right? I mean, what an indictment on my life 
as I look at my life going, okay, there are people who are harassed, helpless, hopeless, who need the gospel, who need their needs met. And am I doing all I can to be one of the laborers who go? And the indictment is that the church, there's a ton of people who claim to follow Jesus who aren't willing to do the work that Christ wants us to do. You know, I grew up in southeast Missouri. And southeast Missouri, especially if you get outside of Poplar Bluff where I'm from, and you go about 10 miles in any direction, it's heavy, heavy, heavy farming. And one of the first places I served was in Wardell, Missouri. And you're never going to find it on a map because it almost doesn't exist. But when I was in Wardell, Missouri, it was a cotton town. I mean, everything was cotton there. And I remember driving through those streets and seeing thousands of acres filled with white cotton. Can you imagine how beautiful that is? Here's what, imagine this. What if the guy who planted all that cotton and had all this harvest ready to be plucked and there was nobody to go out and take the cotton out of the field? How sad would that be? What would happen to the cotton? What would happen to the cotton? It would dry up and rot. Do you think that's maybe the imagery we should have here today? The har- Listen, the harvest is plentiful. Listen, there are a ton of people who are harassed and helpless and hopeless that live in Bithlow. There are a ton of people that are harassed, helpless, and hopeless that live in Wedgefield. There are a ton of people who are harassed, helpless, and hopeless that live right across the street here in Cypress Lakes. There are a ton of people who are harassed and helpless and hopeless that live across the other side of the street in Corner Lakes. That we are surrounded by people who are harassed, helpless, and hopeless, but are we going to be the laborers to go, I'll be the one? Are we going to be the one that Jesus is indicting here going, but the laborers are few. Now see, that's, this, is, this verse is not about you going, well, maybe somebody else will go. This is about, will you go? Will you do the work that Jesus has called us to do? Will you see people the way Jesus saw people? Will you go out and meet the needs of people the way Jesus met the needs of people? The harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of people. But the laborers are few. Then Jesus gives us a remedy, and I love this. Verse 38. Therefore, pray. Everybody say pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want you to notice something I never noticed until about a few weeks ago is I, when I, we were going through these, the, this chapter of Matthew, and I was reading it again, and then the other night. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send out laborers. You know what Jesus says? He didn't, you notice he did not say, pray for the people that are harassed and helpless and hopeless. Do you notice that? Who do you say pray for? Who do you say pray for? For laborers. Pray for those who are unwilling. That God might convict them and send them. So maybe what we need to pray for is not people around the room here today. But maybe what we need to pray for is us saying, Lord, would you give me a heart to go? Lord, would you give me a heart to meet the needs of people that I'm around? Lord, would you give me the heart to see people the way Jesus saw people? Lord, would you give me the heart to meet the needs of people the way Jesus met the needs of people? Lord, I'm asking you, I'm praying, I'm earnestly pursuing you, God, would you do something in me about this issue of being a servant? So today, I'm going to ask you as a church, as a body of believers, I'm going to ask you to take a couple steps today. Number one, I'm going to ask you to be available. Would you just have this heart that simply says, Lord, I'm here. I'm ready. Now, that sounds easy, doesn't it? But when he calls on you, then it gets complicated, right? It's like, I'm ready, Lord. And then you feel the nudge and you go, well, maybe that was just indigestion, you know? You know, so you're like, you're like, you're uncertain. 
And we give everything an excuse. But I'm asking you today, take a real step. Not a shallow step, not a hollow step, but a real step and say, Lord, I am available. Like Isaiah, hear my Lord. Send me. I'm available, Lord. I want to be used by you. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you really want to be used by God? I mean, how many of you want to be a beacon of light to a lost and broken world? How many of you want to be the salt and light that Jesus called us to be? How many of us want to be that? We can take a step and say, Lord, I'm available. Second of all, the second step is this, participate. Not just be available, but participate. Say, Lord, I'm in. Whatever it is, I'm in. Whatever you call me to do, as painful as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as, 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 even though I may not know what the heck I'm doing, I'm in, Lord. And let me tell you two things you can participate in. You ready? You, you may not want to write these down because these are going to haunt you for a little bit, all right? Here's two things that I think you can do to participate. Number one, when you leave today, there's a connections table. There's a sign-up sheet for Cross Life Loves. I'm asking you to go sign up. Well, but Doug, I just don't know what I'm doing. Who cares? None of us do. We're going to figure it out on the fly. No, we were, we're planning. We're preparing. Listen, here's what I've known, that God will take my availability over my knowledge any day of the week. Amen? He will always take my availability. Well, Doug, I just don't know how to help people with the job stuff. Well, that's okay, because we've got people like Jill and Craig that are going to get a team. They know how to do it. Well, Doug, I just don't. Listen, quit giving God excuses, and I'm asking you to take a step of faith here and say, Lord, I'm going to participate. Here's one of the easiest ways to do it. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to be here that week, and we'll figure it out. But don't let opportunities to serve the Lord pass you by. Don't let opportunities that have been put together, shaped together, and formed that we're intentionally going to have Jesus conversations and help people with their practical needs, don't let those moments pass you by. So I'm asking you to participate hardcore. Go out there when we're done and sign up. And don't even be the person to go, you know what, well, they all know I'm coming. No, no, put your name on paper. Because when you do, you're going to be more committed to being there. Second thing, and this is going to be really rough for your feathers. You ready? Are you ready? Yes. Uh, five of you. Are you ready? Yes. Go get a passport. What? Get a passport. Now, here's what I'm saying. What if God called you to go to Cuba? What if God called you to go to Guatemala? What if God called you to Haiti? Most of us in this room, including this guy before we went to Cuba, are ill-prepared for that. Go get a passport. You never know when God's going to call you. And I'm asking you to participate in a way that you need to pray about. Do I need, I, I need to go get a passport. I need to be ready. And you say, well, Doug, that's expensive. I know. Maybe you got to cut some McDonald's out, right? I get it. I understand that. And they last for 10 years. So in 10 years, I'm sure at some point, God's going to say, now is the time. It doesn't matter. I'm asking you to get a passport, to be ready to say, Lord, I'm available, and I want to participate. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to pray for us. And as I get done praying, we're going to have an invitation. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, listen, this altar's open. But here's what I want you to come to the altar for. Ready? Number one, say, Lord, first of all, give me eyes to see like Jesus saw people. One of my favorite songs that was out maybe four or five years ago was actually titled that, Give Me Your Eyes. And here's what it says. Give me your eyes for just one moment. Give me your eyes so I can see all the things that I've been missing. Give me your love for humanity. Wow. That's what I want you to pray. Lord, give me your eyes to see people the way you saw people. Or maybe you want to come here and pray and say, Lord, help me meet the needs of people like you met the needs of people. So if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the prayer today. 
And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, listen to me. The reason we serve is because there is a Jesus who loves you so much that he died for you. There's a Lord and Savior who loves you so much that he was willing to come to die and to sacrifice and to serve us so that we might have a relationship with him. The reason we're talking about serving is because we want people to be introduced into a kingdom that will never end. And if you've never trusted Christ, I would love to talk to you about that today. So I'm going to ask you to everybody stand up with me if you would. Everybody stand up, every head bowed, and every eye closed. And I just want you to digest for a moment. Take 10, 15 seconds, and just think about what we talked about for a moment. And then I'll, then I'll lead us, and then I'll pray. Take a moment, you just talk to the Lord for a moment. Before I pray, I just want to say this, every head bowed, every eye closed. All of us in the room today, we get so busy. We get distracted. We may even discriminate. And I'm just challenging you as a fellow brother in Christ. And it's not because we went to Cuba. It's just the truth of Scripture. We need to see people the way Jesus saw people. And not their outer appearance, but their heart. That they are harassed. They're helpless and they're hopeless. And they need somebody to share the message of Christ with them through love, through service. And maybe you're wrestling with that. Maybe you'd say, you know what, Doug? I I am very distracted, man. Life's busy. I'm on the road five days of the week. And when I get home, I'm ready just to be home. But, But here's the thing. God has you on the road five days a week. And guess what? Wherever you go, there are people that are harassed and helpless hopeless and so maybe in just a moment after I'm praying you need to come to this altar and say Lord help me see people the way you see people or maybe you need to come and say Lord help me have a heart to serve people and meet their needs the way you did see Jesus sympathy and empathy led to activity and that's why it's called compassion so if you're a believer this altar is open Maybe you need to pray about the steps I told you to take. Maybe you need to pray about signing up and say, Lord, I need to be part of this event. Or, Lord, I need to get my passport. You've been nudging me for, for weeks now. Whatever it is, would you just be honest with the Lord today? Would you just put down all of your, your issues and all of your pushback and all your excuses and just say, Lord, work in me right now? And if you don't know Christ, I would love to introduce you to him. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today, and I thank you for those that shared and I wish, I wish we could have had those moments that we shared in Cuba where there was, there was so much sharing that were just off the, the, the cuff of our heart that, that we could somehow get that back here. And I know that's hard, but Lord, they did such a great job sharing about how what they experienced impacted them. But most importantly, how what they experienced changed them. And God, I pray as a church that we would realize that when we begin to serve not just inside these walls, but outside these walls, it will change us. It will be uncomfortable. It will be difficult. It will be untimely. It will be dirty, but it will change us, and it will mold us into more the image of Christ than we were before we served. So I pray for some believers. I pray for some cross-life folks who are all in. They would join me at this altar and say, Lord, help me see people the way you saw people. Lord, help me meet their needs the way Jesus met their needs. I want to be truly the salt and light of this world. God, be with us.
bless this time of invitation. May we be honest and transparent before you. For it's in your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. This invitation's for you. The altar's open. You can come pray. I just challenge you. Where are you at with this? Do you really have a heart to serve? And if not, the best place to change that heart is right here on your knees where the creator of the universe will change you. So this altar's open as Patrick leads us.